Can I say we'll give it up? Steve Grip, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, I ran into you uh, last night at Cock and Tails, the jam, the infamous Tuesday jam, and you had uh, today free. Yeah, there you go. You're just living the life of leisure. What are you doing? Uh, well, I mean, playing as much as I can, you know. Um, I just, <laughs> I'm just giving you shit. <laughs> you mean you didn't have an afternoon gig today? I didn't. Slacker. I know. Uh, you're originally from Minneapolis proper, or uh, you are Prince's love child. Who are you? Where did you grow up? Give me the, <laughs> give me the goods. Well, you know, uh, just slightly north of Minneapolis is where I actually grew up, and also in Mission Viejo, California. Okay, uh, I was there for a short time as a, as a kid, but uh-huh. mostly Minneapolis. And uh, you know, I was living you know right in right in Minneapolis mm-hmm. um, until I came here. Mm-hmm. But I was in St. Paul, which is which is like saying you lived in Scottsdale. Right, yeah, it's the same difference. It's, you're still in the city. And, and yeah, so St. Paul is it divided by a river? Is it? Is yeah. That what the the difference is basically Minneapolis is on one side and St. Paul's on the other. Yep. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. yeah. So it's just it's it's one large city with with two names. Mm-hmm. Really. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, hit me with some early uh, musical memories like uh, maybe there was a record that really spoke to you or how did you kind of discover music and when when did it become a thing well my dad's very musical oh, okay. um, he he played a lot, a lot of percussion and uh, and trumpet and so mm. he had he had records laying around mm-hmm. you know like Jimmy Smith records and, mm. and and things like that blood sweat and tears was a favorite of his oh yeah um, and so and his 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 brother actually who uh, his his brother is so they tell me his brother auditioned for uh, Dave Brubeck but didn't oh. didn't get the gig. What was the instrument? Drums. Okay. Yeah. So in the in the, in the mid fifties in there he uh, I think uh, he wasn't uh, better than Joe Morello so Joe Morello got the gig, <laughs> and uh, my dad's brother did not. <laughs> that's pretty hip though. I mean that's like that's some real shit. That's yeah. You know that would have been incredible. Yeah, absolutely. So he was talented. As far as we know, uh, he um, sadly he overdosed like in the late fifties, and, uh, and he didn't die, but it uh, it's uh, the the coma that he was put in it was there was massive brain damage. Hmm. So he lived the rest of his life as like a, a, an eight year old. Whoa, wow! And then just disappeared out of a home like, huh. in the in the two thousands. Just just left one day and was never seen again. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Is it like a big family, big, like lots of aunts and uncles? And how, what was that scene like? Um, on my dad's side, he had the brother and a sister. Okay. And the brother and the sister, they, uh, well, the brother stayed in, uh, in the Oakland, San Francisco area, which is where my dad was from, um, obviously. And uh, so my, my aunt, yeah, she had uh, 13 kids. Holy moly. And they all have children. So I have more cousins in that area than, I, than I'm even aware of. <laughs> Cousins upon cousins, cousins upon cousins, cousins. third cousins, yeah. five fifth cousins. I don't know. None of them are musical that I'm aware of. So yeah. It, it, so your dad, <clears throat> so your dad sounds like your dad's side of the family. Your dad and your uncle were kind of musical influences, and they were bringing some music into your life and exposing you to, to these records. Definitely the start of it. Yeah, because mm-hmm. music as a as a kid, I was it was it was something that was always around. Mm-hmm. You know, so I saw a lot of it. My my dad used to go to these jam sessions in the. Uh, 
the uh, the little Mexico part of St. Paul. I didn't and, realize there was a little Mexico in St. Paul. I, I don't think there is anymore, but there huh. used to be some neighborhoods that were that okay. were exclusive. And yeah. uh, those jam sessions were, you know, like, you know, crazy Latin Latin music and mm-hmm. rhythms just, just and he might have just bring his bongo mm-hmm. and play along. And I, I'd been to one or two of those as a kid mm-hmm. with him once cool. or twice. And yeah, so that was a really cool, a really cool experience. But I think, um, you know, later on actually getting us into instruments was more, I had an older sister and she had, uh, you know, all the Van Halen records and, yeah. and, the, and the guitar. So we're mm. t- started talking about guitar. Mm-hmm. And so I was stealing her records, like, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So that, uh, that's probably even more of an influence. The, my dad had the music around me, but when I, when I heard Eddie Van Halen, mm-hmm. now I'm like, where's this guitar thing? Where, right. where do I get one? Right. Sign me up. Right. You know. So you had a heavy dose of that kind of heavy electric riff based uh virtuosic you know like I, my my middle brother was super into eddie and still is to this day and um i remember you know diver down 1984 yeah. like yeah. fair warning van halen 2 like these were huge records and but i think what what it dawned on me was that i, I can't sing like David Lee Roth. So no. that music didn't have the power, let's say, as a James Taylor did, you know, yeah. but still very influential. Listening to Eddie makes me want to not play guitar. I, you had a different experience. <laughs> it, yeah, it made me want to play guitar for sure. You know, um, and were you just shedding, trying to learn the riffs and sitting in your room with a, with an acoustic? Like, when did you get your first guitar? Uh, you know, actually, I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't get one for a while. Because uh-huh. um, I, you know, I like I was waiting for that 1984 album to come out. Oh, you know, yeah. and then went and bought it immediately. But I didn't get a guitar until like uh, three or four years later. Mm-hmm. And by that time, somebody had uh, had handed me a, a Metallica uh, tape, mm-hmm. and uh, and th- then I wanted to learn that. Mm-hmm. So that was the stuff that I actually went in and you know, as a as a 14, 15 year old, I I could play you entire albums mm. you know, note for note. That mm. was that was the stuff I was into. So it got a little heavier, maybe. It as, got a little heavier, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. Uh, and then I went, uh, but I did go back and learn some of that Van Halen. But uh, but uh, yeah, the 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 Metallica stuff was was first and foremost for a while. Was there a particular record or a song that stuck out from Metallica? I think Master of Puppets, mm-hmm. and which is yeah, it's funny to be talking about this because that's not the guitar player I am today at all. But. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, influences are influences. It's a it's like a gateway drug. Like you you're like, oh, what is this? And then you can start to explore other things because you have the knowledge and the passion for it. I suppose that's true. Yeah, that's true. Master of puppets. So d- you didn't do like the school band thing. You didn't have piano lessons and you, no. you know, like that sort of thing. No, no. Self-taught guitar player. I took lessons from uh, you know some guy down the street who was slightly older than me. Yeah. And uh, you know he showed me all those Metallica tunes. And at some point I wanted to know more and and ended up uh, taking some private lessons where somebody showing me some scales and, and how to use them and things like that. Mm-hmm. And from there I went on to uh, McNally Smith. I don't know if you've, oh, you've yeah. heard their story and know I'm, anything about that school. Well, I, I, the name sounds very familiar. So hit me with what that is exactly. 
So McDowney Smith was uh, some guys left uh, the U of M, uh, the McPhail Center for the Arts, which was just an extension of the U of M, and they left there to to form a a guitar school, basically, and they called it Music Tech in the late '80s, and it evolved from there into McNally Smith and became a fully accredited college, and Hmm. and was in like the the building it occupied in St. Paul was an entire city block. Wow, it was it was a huge school and a a huge influence on the on the musicians and the music in Minneapolis, and uh, they. They actually um, sent out an email like four or five days before Christmas saying, there's no more checks. The school is closed. Sorry. We're out of money. <laughs> wow. So, Somebody mismanaged that. Yeah. Someone's yeah. going to get a sternly worded email in response. There, sure. there were rumors about the president of the school for a long time. <laughs> oh, so, really? Uh, on the money end. So, uh-huh. uh, But I don't really know anything about that. And this was early teen years then? Or this is you graduate high school and then you go to do this or yep yeah straight out yeah mm-hmm. i graduated high school and and walked into that building and at the time their uh their 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 uh, standards were, were very low they they checked my check cleared and i was in great you thank know. you very much but for i was applying. very happy you know <laughs> and what was that program like what it was a two-year thing yeah two-year thing yep and you got an associates in what performance or something? It actually, um, when I went there, they weren't fully accredited. Okay. So I have like a, I don't know a technical school degree in guitar. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, you know the the program was uh, it, it, there was a lot going on because mm-hmm. you are either there from nine to nine to four nine to five you know just going from class to class and it's all guitar all music theory. Wow. So there were, I didn't waste no time with the English classes, which is right. which was uh, you know an appeal to me. I didn't right. I didn't want it. Yeah. So I was more than happy to skip out on all that. Different genres, different techniques, improvisation, yeah. theory. Yep. They had every, you know, they had jazz ensembles, rock ensembles. They had they had everything. Super yeah. cool. I bet that did have a, f- a huge influence on the music coming out of Minneapolis. Yeah. Yep. There's so many good, young, talented people. Because I'm, you know, I'm 49. So when and then they shut down in 2017. So when I was playing in the in the mid 2010s, I was running into these musicians who were 30 years old who were badasses, you uh-huh. know, because they had come out of that school. Yeah. And and a lot of them weren't from Minneapolis, so there a lot of people stayed, mm. which really, um, you know, helped the scene. I'm sure. It helped the scene. Yeah. yeah. It helped the quality of the music out there. And, and did you did you go to any shows in Minneapolis? Like we talked last night about the Dakota, but there, I know that there's a thriving live music scene and i'm sure it was oh, yeah. crushing in the in the 90s and the 2000s and do you have any memories of did you see prince do you know prince did you meet him did i i do him? i do have one prince story <laughs> let's go I, okay. I i knew a lot of people connected to him and i know a lot of their stories but i only have one okay and that i was at paisley park um and it was just uh, they used to hold these events uh, these uh paisley park after darks and uh, basically he would have like a, a local musician play in the in the warehouse area and uh, the thing was, is that all these people would show up because because occasionally Prince would show up right. and he would play uh-huh. and, and they would hang out forever because sometimes he would show up at, you know, four o'clock in the morning and decide he wants to play. So so that all those people just hung on until Whoa. until they kicked him out. Yeah. So anyway, I'm in there and uh, one of these concerts had just happened and I knew everybody connected to, to, to the to the event. So I, you know, I, I just walked in after a gig. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, so I was talking to some friends of mine, and Prince comes walking in and walks, you know, pretty much as close as you are to me. He walks right by, mm-hmm. and he's looking at me and looking at the people next to me. And, uh, and he, uh, he walked past me to his guy standing about maybe 10 feet over that way, and he looked at that guy, and he said, get these people out of this room. <laughs> so that's End it. End of story. <laughs> End of story. Prince, Prince had me removed. Yeah. Prince took one look at you and said, not on my watch, not in Paisley Park. You can go now. 
And then any other any other music venues that that kind of stood out to you? Was it was there kind of like Sixth Street or something like that or Sixth Street? I don't, uh, know. I don't know. Did I make that up? I probably I, just made it. Maybe, up. Maybe, maybe. Uh, Bunkers is uh, is is the club that uh, basically Prince made. Okay, it's, it wasn't his. Um, but uh, Bunkers in and, I, and this is what other people have told me because I'm not quite old enough to uh, to have been there, but. Um, so bunkers in the early '80s, they were. It was a. It's a. It's a, in the warehouse district of Minneapolis. You know, so just slightly to the to the west of downtown, uh-huh. and uh, it was a crappy biker bar with with some live music, and they had this band in there that was that was a killing funk band. They were they were really good called Doctor Mambo's Combo, hmm. and they're still there. Hmm. They're still there doing Damn. doing every uh, Sunday nights now. Wow, um, Doctor Mambo's combo yep okay. which is run by uh like michael bland and and uh um, sonny thompson who are who are all you know they're the new power generation mm. guys mm-hmm. and uh anyway so there was nobody nobody in there for this funk band on these monday nights and uh and some and prince heard about a couple of the people that were there and he wanted to said he said he wanted to check the band out so he showed up one night and uh Ever since then, the place was jammed because hmm. Prince was going to come show back. up. Yep. Yeah. And he did. He often did show up and he would play and, and sometimes wow. he would just show up and hang out. But the club was an empty, dusty, crappy bar. Hmm. And it became like one of the premier venues in Minneapolis <laughs> because Prince walked in the door. Oh, my God. That's it. That's, That's all it crazy. took. Yeah. That's bananas to me. Where did they film Purple Rain? Do you know this? Was it there? Definitely in that downtown area. Yeah. yeah right yeah. there. I mean, you got First Avenue. Which... That's what I was thinking. Not 6th Street, 1st Avenue. Uh, well, you're, the 7th Street entry is the, is the, is the around-the-corner, smaller venue. Okay. So that's what you were thinking. Maybe that's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. That's where you were thinking. So, so that, that's still there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you were, you were gigging at this time once you graduated high school. Did you like do like you had garage bands in, in high school you know, with yeah. your buddies and doing all that thing? Yeah, definitely covers or, or originals or both or you know just kind of scrumming around minneapolis doing bar gigs and that sort of thing as a, as a high schooler i played in a in, a, in an all-original funk or not funk punk band Sorry. okay okay so close so, funk punk i know yeah. it's, it's, it's easy to confuse i think I, I might have things. smashed a guitar in a video <laughs> oh you know? my yeah okay I, I don't i can't see that in my mind but i believe it you seem you strike me as a very angry person i i know i, I just <laughs> so angry all the time um all right so you get out you 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 get you you're, you're working at uh at the at the music not working at the music school you're learning at the music school you're taking classes you get your thing you start to work around town in various bands and then at what point do you decide to move to arizona and why um basically um it's the girlfriend mm-hmm. who's who's from here, but but she's not because I'm not supposed to tell people that. Oh, um, okay. But uh, um, she's no not, one listens to this no, podcast. Yeah, by yeah. the way, she'll, she'll never know. Literally, just for us. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So anyway, it's uh, it's it's cold in Minneapolis. Oh, uh, I've heard. We've heard about this, okay. and uh, and here's here's another aspect of living in Minneapolis. Living through George Floyd was a whole different experience. Yeah, because we lived um, not right in the middle of that but just like off to the side uh-huh. and uh that was a, a week of of walk, stepping out your front door and looking outside and you can see the orange glow of the buildings burning wow. and and people racing up and down the street gunfire all over the place that wow. was an insane crazy time to live through yeah and and just uh yeah not uh not pleasant at all no 
And the Minneapolis police, understandably, lost most of their credibility right. and, uh, and, and they lost control mm-hmm. because nobody had any respect for them anymore. And, and the city exploded into, into crime everywhere. Yeah. I mean, there were uh, carjackings outside my front door. And I lived in one of the most crime-free neighborhoods hmm. in, in Minneapolis prior to that. Hmm. And it was in the city, you know, in the city, you know, people can walk three blocks and, and, and be in your neighborhood. So it just, it just was, it wasn't a, it wasn't a great place to live anymore. I've been bitching about the cold forever. And with all those factors uh, filtered in there, um, uh, we figured what the hell. So this is relatively recent that you left Minneapolis then, within the past, what? October 21. Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. Yeah. Okay. So you're you're fresh off the boat, as they say. Uh, pretty much, I guess. And you you jumped right in. I mean, started started working. I guess I made the right phone calls. How, and uh, who and who were those phone calls to? And how did you get those names? Um, well, I in Minneapolis, I worked for uh, the International Musicians League, which is Lucky Devils, Lucky Devils and yeah. Blue Water Kings in, in Minnesota is what mm-hmm. it's called. And uh, I just I called the dude I deal with down uh, up there, and I said, "Who do I uh, who do I talk to?" And mm. he just sent uh, an introductory email to Shay Marshall. Mm, heard of him? And uh, yep. Uh, and uh, he uh, had me on a gig after I was here for about forty eight hours. <laughs> so. So that was that was nice to to get some some work straight out the gate and yeah. and I met uh, West John yeah. um, familiar with his work yes and uh, and he pointed me in a couple of different directions and and suddenly I found myself out doing doing solo work and which is not something I did in Minneapolis actually uh-huh. I was I was mainly I worked for uh, I what I kind of evolved into is I worked um, for R and B singers huh as a guitar player and a musical director. So I organized shows and, and played guitar, and that's what I did. I, they, they let me near a microphone, like at the beginning of the, of the set to, uh, to do a sound check, use me, or something uh-huh, like that. Right. And, then, uh, and then the real singers would come on, and I would, I would step back, and that would be it. Uh-huh. Um, but I found myself out here being told that, you know, if you can just s- sing, yeah, there's can, a lot more work. There's a lot more work. You can write your own ticket, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I found a ton of work right off the bat. Did, comparing Minneapolis to Phoenix, um, is there more or less work here than than there is in, in Minneapolis, or is it a similar uh, workload, uh, sim- similar opportunities? It's it's kind of a different. It's, it's they're different mm-hmm. because in Minneapolis you have um, kind of a it's the you have the clubs mm. and you have and that's for the most part that's what you got. Hmm. There is no resort right. economy. There isn't that right. doesn't exist, and, and maybe uh, not a bunch of like destination weddings, especially in the winter. In the winter, yeah, you're done. Yeah, uh, Blue Blue Water Kings up there, they're doing weddings through September, right? And, and that's it. It's mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. And not a lot of solo acoustic vocal stuff. No, yeah, no, here and there, but not not like out here. I was mm-hmm. I was stunned at the amount and frankly the amount they were paying. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. It's funny, man. This I, I talked to some of the guys that have been here for a long time, and they're like, this is the same bread that I've been getting since the 80s. I should have been here in the 80s. Then. Right? We would have been kings. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. So you, so you kind of get you, you, you step off the, the plane or whatever, and you, and you, you land, and you start running and, and, and working uh, Lucky Devil stuff, but also singer-songwriter stuff. And, and uh, do, you, do you write your own tunes? I don't. Yeah, I have never stepped into that. I've hmm. always worked for other people, mm-hmm. so I've always been playing either either all covers or other people's stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you have a preference? Um, you know, it, I I I just 
I'm a groove guy. Mm -hmm. So no matter what it is, if it grooves, I'm happy. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and I, and I like, I, I, I really like vocalists. I worked for some really good ones in Minneapolis. So some really good singers and that, um, like one of the singers I work with, she was, uh, um, she was Carmen Electra's uh, vocal director when, hmm. when Prince was dating Carmen Electra, hmm. he did an album for her and he brought her on to, uh, to teach her how to sing essentially and put together all the backing vocals for the album and everything else and the, and, and the tour. Wow. And, uh, and, and she did a lot of other things too, but, um, so she, she was just that she put together backing vocalists. I mean, we would have three to four backing vocalists on every gig and those backing vocals were absolutely perfect. Wow. It was, it was it, the quality was amazing. It was it was amazing to sit back and watch uh -huh. as as the guitar player just to just just to hear that stuff and yeah that was that's that's what I really like. I like working for for people who can sing. If I could if I could sing like that, man, I would do it. But yeah. I, I do not have the range. I just, you know, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's limits. Sure, you can do. And and you mentioned some touring. Was that with that project? Ah, uh, no, no. I actually toured as a bass player um, with um, a singer by the name of Joanne Parker. And so she, um, she's got a couple of albums out. She's kind of a blues, but more, she's got more of a, an R and B spin on it. Uh huh. Kind of more, uh, like, like a Sam Cooke era R&B okay. mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's been her thing. And she's, she's actually been pretty successful and that was, uh, that was a fun gig to, to take on the road and also to stretch out my bass playing a little bit. Cause I'm primarily a guitar player, but yeah. that was just something that, uh, that I, I fell into. Huh. Doing a little bit of bass playing. And what was multiple tours? One tour? How long? Where'd you go? Um, well, multiple. So we went. She likes to go east. Mm -hmm. So we would go out, um, start off, you know, doing doing like Milwaukee and uh, and Madison, and then down into Chicago, and then we, you know, turn turn left mm -hmm. and head out to Ohio. We went to Ohio. We went into into Michigan. We went uh, we went down into the Carolinas once, mm -hmm. uh, into Florida, um, back th back through. We've been to St. Louis. And Fun. Uh, all over the place. And yeah. is this uh, is this tour bus style, or is it fifteen pass van with a with a trailer? What keep what? going down? <laughs> a Subaru and a and a Thule thing on top. No, what? <laughs> it was a, like a trailblazer with a trailer. Okay. <laughs> so as a, as a four piece, you got two people in the front and then three row seating. I, I had my own row. So okay, that was, that's that was good. As good as it got. It was a four piece. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, she used Agile. to pick. She used to pick up a keyboard player in in towns, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. uh, but we never we never carried the keyboard player. So you you had it all charted up. You were the MD, or no? That one I was just hired on as the bass player. Yeah, yeah. So you would just go find keys players in in the towns, or she did that. Yeah, this I was just, I was just, I just worked there. Yeah, this was one of those projects you. that yeah. I was just uh, you know I was support personnel. Yeah, I didn't ask no questions. Yeah, but it sounds like it was fun. Yeah, it was it was fun. It was a, it was a good time, and they were good people. Yeah. So, and and what years? What was the, did this fall? This before, obviously, you you left uh, Minneapolis. So yeah, that's uh, from 2017 through uh, through 19. Were were those ones? Yeah, mm -hmm. with her. Awesome. Yeah. Do you have any plans to work with her in the future? I keep telling her that she she needs to come this direction. Yeah. And uh and that you know I've been here long enough to where she can come by herself and I can put together the musicians behind her. Oh hell so, yeah. Yeah, you could put the whole thing together. But uh I she, I haven't convinced her of that yet. Uh -huh. So, but Well, she, just wait until it's like December in Minneapolis and you're like I'm it's 70 degrees. Well, you should come down and check this out. You yeah. Know? Yeah, maybe that'll sell it. <laughs> What's up, y'all? My name is Tanner Sigfort, owner of Groove Booking, and I have a podcast called Great Exposure. 
First of all, thanks for listening to So the Story Goes. Brian is a great guy, a friend, and this is a fantastic and very well done podcast. The title of my podcast, Great Exposure, is a play on the term us musicians have always heard when being lowballed for a gig, followed by, but this gig is great exposure. I am a professional musician and booking agent, and through the years I've met so many amazing entertainers. I created this podcast to have open format conversations with the artists and DJs I have the pleasure of working with. Being that my guests are always artists of some sort, we typically talk about music and the industry. However, sometimes we get on long, drawn-out conversations about very random topics, and that's where I really get to see their personalities shine, and I get to know them on a deeper level than just their music careers, and that is my favorite part of the show. I appreciate Brian featuring this ad on his podcast, and I really hope you enjoy Great Exposure, available on Spreaker, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Now, back to So the Story Goes. Hey there, I am Boomer. And I'm Pixie Ola. Our podcast, Service Entrance People, is for and about the gritty, underpaid, underprivileged service industry workers of the world. Unite! Day in and day out, we walk through the parking lot of broken dreams. So if you're interested in listening and sharing in the war stories of the, the industry, and if you're curious as to what us, the help, are really thinking, we are going to educate you with stories of the strange, shocking, and hilarious, because laughing is the only way that we can think to even try to get our ways through each day. (laughs) This industry is one that we absolutely, truly love. And although you'll hear horror stories and rants and bitching that we have to work at work because that's the kind of petty betty that we are. We kid because we care. You can find service entrance people on all major platforms as well as YouTube and would like to say thank you for tuning into my friend Brian Chartrand and the So the Story Goes podcast. I've known him for longer than he or I would admit and yes, he is that cool in real life. So kind of a true a true side man in the sense that that uh, that's really your, your background. Yeah. Yep. And what... As a side man, what just give me like what are some things if, if someone's looking to get into this business or they're younger and they're trying to become a working musician, do you have any little tips or suggestions or you know, what has worked for you? How did you become a, a full time side man? Do your homework. Mm. I mean, and then do it again. Yeah. Because the some of the best gigs I ever got were the result of me showing up and knowing shit backwards and forwards and, and getting the regular guy fired because mm-hmm. I was only supposed to be there for one gig. And I came in, had, I knew the arrangements, I knew my parts, and other people were out the door, and I, mm-hmm. it, the gig was mine. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, when, when you're hiring side men, because I've been on both ends of it, I've, I've run a band also, but somebody shows up, they've, 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 they've got what the, the material you've given them, whether you've given them charts or whatever, and they, they, they know, they know they're, they're there. Mm-hmm. Somebody else who shows up who uh, who's uh, you know looking for Wi-Fi because they didn't bother to download your charts yet. They haven't listened to anything, right? And uh, and and I'm, I didn't rehire that person, mm-hmm. but you know that's that's how I got you know gigs that I, I there are better players out there. Mm-hmm. There's always mm-hmm. a better player out there. Mm-hmm. So if you if you if you if you can be counted on to do what needs to be done and to know the material, that is gonna that that'll get you the gig every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like, you know, and I, I hire sidemen as well for various things in various capacities. Um, it, it, as you say, it's it's not your technical proficiency necessarily or the, the solo that you played 
sure, maybe it blew my mind. But if you are unreliable and the hang isn't good. Yeah, there's you know, that too. And then yeah. you're like, why? I'll just get someone who who maybe is less proficient but is accountable, reliable, professional, prepared. You know, all that shit that yeah. you think, well, I'm a guitar player. I don't need to think about that. You know, I'm going to roll up when I roll up and I'll get, I have big ears. I'll get through it. You know, it's like, no, you won't. (laughs) So, all right. So be prepared. That's good. Uh, what, uh, what's kind of on the, on the horizon for you here? What's your, what's your goal? I mean, you've already kind of stepped right into, um, a lot of the work that everyone is doing. So is there, is there some, something bigger on the horizon or or something that you want to tackle now that you're here? Um, you know, I guess for me, like I said, I was a side man and this whole, this whole fronting a band or, or being uh, you know, just a solo is, is a whole new thing for me. So that's, that's, uh, been an expansion of my vocal repertoire. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, recently I just, I started doing some, some trios at Eddie V's and that's a whole nother environment. And then I do the, tr- do the trios at the Phoenician and, and wherever mm-hmm. else they'll throw me out there. And Eddie V's is that Greg Warner and, yep. and who's on bass typically? Um, he gave me a piano player, uh, Tim Poz- Posnick, I think mm-hmm. was his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's playing left-hand bass. Okay. Kicking some bass. And what would you say your, your, when you do the singer songwriter thing, what, what does your book look like? What kind of material are you playing? I try, I'm an R and B guy, mm-hmm. always have been. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to stay within that as much as I can, but, but, um, but also learning that, uh, um, I don't want to go too far down that road. Cause if I, you know, some stuff I would love to play, people are looking around like, what the hell is he playing? Mm. So there's, there's a line there. What, obscure R&B stuff or? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, in, in, uh, in the resorts, if I'm doing, you know, Footsteps in the Dark by the Eyes of the Brothers, which is a great tune, I don't find I get a lot of engagement mm. from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, but I, I try and do some of that stuff for myself mm-hmm. and some, some interesting stuff. But, uh, you know, if you're going to do, uh, um, like well, one I recently doing, started doing as a solo act is uh, Reeling in the Years. Mm, love it. I'm a huge Steely Dan fan. I noticed you got yeah. some tapes back there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one, the, you know, I get, I get some attention from these guys hanging out at these resorts. They, they How like do you that do it stuff. as a solo guitar player? Just a little looper. Oh, okay. Just, I'm just looping. I'm not a sophisticated looper, believe me. Right. Um, I, I hadn't used the looper prior to, uh, prior to landing here. Uh-huh. I just figured if I'm going to do these solo gigs for four hours, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure as hell I'm not going to sing for four hours. Right. So no, I, it's, it's a huge tool. I use it kind of in that setting too. And it, and it really helped me as, as a tool just to get some lead chops together. I mean, I'm not a lead player by any, by any stretch, but it also gives you an opportunity to rest your voice if you have a three-hour hit or a four-hour yeah. hit. So that's, it's interesting. I feel like it's, it can easily become its own thing. And I don't want that. Like, I don't want every, I don't want to loop for five minutes before I get to the song, you know? Yeah, me neither. But in the context of a song, if there is a little solo section, I'll, I'll stretch it a little bit. And it's fun to have to use that looping ability. Yeah. I typically just, you know, at the start of a verse, I'll hit the looper mm-hmm. and uh, I'll sing a verse, chorus, a verse, a chorus, hit the looper again. And, and I'll solo through however long I feel like I need to waste time. Right. Right. You know, what, what looper do you have? It's just a, what is it? A TC electronic ditto two. Okay. The two button one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have a similar RC 50. It's old now. It's probably 15, 20. Yeah. 20 years old or something. And the same shit. It's like super linear. I'm not like doing a bunch of layers. I'm just, no. and I only have, I think I have 16 seconds 
It sounds like you have much longer than that. I think so, yeah. Yeah, you have like minutes. Yeah, that definitely. you can loop and you know, this one doesn't save anything, so you mm-hmm. can't. You can't. But it's you know, right. I, I've never had it run out. So right, interesting. So I'll do things like uh, you know, like Street Life, mm-hmm. uh, the Crusaders, and 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 loop it, and solo over it, and sing it. You know. Wow. So I, I try and have some fun with it, and then you know, for the uh, for, for the for the people out there, the sixty-year-old uh, white guys sitting around the uh, the resorts, I'll give them uh, "Miss You" by the Stones. Oh, there you go. So you know, so it's a pretty diverse book. I mean, you know, you're you're not just doing R and B. You're doing some rock and roll. You're doing some. I try and mix it up. Yeah, I try and mix it up. Yeah. Do you find? I mean, you just said like this obscure Isley Brothers tune may not hit the same way other tunes do. What tunes really like? If you're feeling like I'm losing them and you play what? You know, one tune that's been a surprise kind of hit for me, I guess, in these in these situations is uh, Man in the Mirror, hmm. Michael Jackson. Hmm. I get a ton of compliments and, and commentary and engagement over that. Mm-hmm. People singing along. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, that was a tune that uh, I was at once a church musical director. And uh, um, I tried to pull in as much non-church music as I possibly could. Um, and, uh, that was one of the songs that, uh, that I, that I pulled into the, a church setting. Hmm. And, uh, so I knew it and I was like, well, I can do this acoustically. Hmm. So I, I played it acoustically and from, from the get go, I got, uh, I got tips off of it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and engagement. So mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that one sticks around. That's funny. For sure. Yeah. Any, and any sleepers, like ones that you didn't think, I mean, man, I mean, that was a huge hit. Like though everybody knows it, but are any sleepers that you're like, oh shit, that, that, that was cool. Uh, you know, if you're familiar with uh, um, uh, Robert Palmer, uh-huh. sure. early Robert Palmer, um, so ev- not so not uh, 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 like um, oh, shit. not addicted to love, right? Right. So every kind of people from uh. the, from the late '70s before he had any of those hits with the with the with the girls in the suits. Said the fight to make ends meet. Keeps a man up on his feet Holding down his job Trying to show he can't be bought Who takes every kind of people Make what life's about, yeah funny that that's what i remember too i remember those videos yeah yeah that's that's what that's what he made his mark with but right be, but before that he was in england doing yeah. doing what what they call blue-eyed soul yeah so um so every kind of people um i've i've got several people that i wouldn't have expected to remember that that song and i had it was presented to me by uh by a singer i worked with in minneapolis she said uh i want you to sing this huh. i'm like well, what is this yeah what is this thing never heard that and uh, so I, I grabbed the tune, and I mean, I, I got a hundred dollar tip off that song once. Let's go. So, we need more of those. Yeah, and that one, you know, I'm, I don't think that's going to happen, you know, every week. But uh, it, that was a surprise. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm doing that one mostly for myself. Mm-hmm. And so when I get when I get a reaction off of that one, it's it was it's 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 pretty cool actually. That's awesome. But people are, you know, I found that you know, because in Minneapolis you have you have the city, and you get your hip city people, and then you got. Out, out in the in the suburbs where uh, where they got different signs in their front yards right. and, and all kinds of things going on, um, and I, I mean not dissimilar to Phoenix, homie. I mean, probably not. I haven't been on the outskirts much here, oh, okay. so um, this time. 
I, I, I can't speak to that. But um, so I took this house gig in this in this way out spot, you know, in the, in the northern suburbs. And I'm thinking these people aren't going to they're not going to they're not going to dig what I do. Uh, you know, not gonna like that. This is this is this is a weird fit because mm-hmm. the, the band was playing more more like almost southern classic rock, mm-hmm. and then they'd turn it over to me, and I would do what's going on, mm-hmm. and and it was like, how is this gonna work? But I was surprised by the amount of people who were like, man, nobody nobody plays that stuff up here. That was so great, awesome, you know. So I guess I guess I I've learned that you shouldn't sell people short mm-hmm. just because you're you're looking around and you're thinking that. Uh, Right. They're not going to dig it. Right. People are more sophisticated than you think, I think, sometimes, musically. Right. No, I agree completely. I agree completely. I discovered this little game. I don't know if it's a game, but it's called Song Versations. Not the greatest name. Uh, but it's it's 100 questions uh, just about kind of random music stuff, and I borrowed it from a buddy, and I like to just pick one at random. And some of them are not even kind of music related. So if we get like a weird one, we'll just bag it. But oh God, come on! All right, so this this is "Walking on Sunshine," okay, which is you know that tune, you know, "Walking on Sunshine." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Besides music, what or who else makes you feel good instantly? That is fairly lame, and I apologize. But this is an interesting question. Uh, do you have any other things that you are passionate about? Like any other hobbies that, that maybe, uh, we don't know about yet or that you're, uh, you love to paint or you're into, uh, yoga or weaving baskets. No, no basket weaving. Okay. You know, the, uh, the, the pandemic shutdown, mm. uh, put me in, you know, on the couch for, you know, weeks mm-hmm. at a time. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I, I did was uh, I learned 3D animation hmm. Hmm. through a program called Blender, if anyone's familiar with it. Um, and so you can basically model anything and then animate it. And, and and just and I had actually I had a whole a whole concept working and, and something I was going to develop into into a, like an actual animated show. Huh. Um, but there were a couple of factors that uh, that came into that. One, I'll, I'll tell you what it was about. It was uh, see we we were my, my girlfriend and I we watch. Uh, just, just the weirdest shit on TV. So Talk to we're, me. we're watching, we're watching TJ Hooker, <laughs> which is absolutely terrible. Wow, it's but it's terrible in, in a way that's 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 quite funny. Yeah, you, you can talk shit the whole time you're watching it. Right. And so I jokingly said something about uh, uh, you know I'm going to remake the show and it's going to be called TJ Monkey. <laughs> so then um, you know then the pandemic hits and I start messing around with this this computer program. And, uh, and, and suddenly I'm like, well, I bet you I could do that. Then, then I did one little thing at a time and I had created an animated character that was TJ monkey. Uh-huh. And so it was going to basically a, a cop show, an eighties cop show parody called TJ monkey. It was, is, and it, 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 had I had more time, I, you know, had this pandemic gone, gone on for another, if it had been lockdowns for another, another six weeks, who knows? Right. right. Some full episodes might've gotten done, <laughs> but, uh, but that's, that's where that came from. And, uh, and the, the, the pan, obviously the pandemic kind of eased. And so there was more musical work. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was busier. Um, and also, um, I mentioned the George Floyd thing earlier. Cops became a lot less funny to me for a little mm-hmm. while. Mm-hmm. So I almost, I couldn't, I couldn't find humor in that for, for, for a time. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought I was going to pick it back up when I moved here. Cause I thought I would land here and I wouldn't know anything about the scene. I wouldn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. And, so you'd have uh, some free time I'd to have some dig free into time. it. Yeah. 
my girlfriend is, you know, she's, you know, got a got a degree like a real person, and instead of a fake degree from uh, from uh, music tech, yeah, yeah, like I've got, and uh, so she has a real job that that pays way better than the musician. Uh-huh. So when we moved out here, she said, "Don't worry about it. Just uh, just find your way. Take your time. I got us." Well, you really moved at a at a, da- at a not a dangerous time, but at a really challenging time. I mean, you you lived through that experience in Minneapolis, only to come to Arizona, and we're still. I mean. I guess in relation to other states, we opened up relatively early, but you know, twenty twenty one, uh, those were those were some lean years and some challenging years for me. Um, so it's interesting to hear that you know during that time, you kind of put not music away or to the side, but you just said, "All right, I can't go out and and make money playing music, so let's just pursue this new passion, this new hobby, this new concept." And I think a part of that, but the, pursuing something new was that, you know, I was really busy. I was going from, a, you know, we, we were doing, we were working on a tribute to the Eagles. We had just finished up a, a, an Earth, Wind, and Fire tribute. Plus, I worked for 18 other people. I was a church music, music director. Mm-hmm. And when the pandemic shut down, it was like this, I was running constantly. And to not have to do anything was kind of like, it was the vacation I'd always dreamed of, mm-hmm. really. Hmm. And I, the church job, which I, I thought for sure I was going to lose because they had, they had cut my service. Hmm. <clears throat> and so I was this musical director without a, uh, without a service who was still drawing a salary. And I thought as soon as, as soon as we couldn't have services anymore, that somebody in finance was going to go, why are we still paying? Why are we still paying this guy? Yeah. That didn't happen. And, and that salary completely carried me through because it, wow. was, it was a good salary. Great. And, uh, so I, I didn't need any, the, the money the money was fine. So I was, I wasn't, wasn't broke. And, uh, and I was, you know, I was, like I said, I was, it was a vacation hmm. and I just was able to do some things I, I wasn't, I wasn't able to do cause I was too, just too busy cause mm-hmm. I was running from gig to gig working several times a week. And I did, I didn't, uh, I didn't play with, uh, the same people every week. So I was constantly learning new material and, and, you know, you get up on Monday, you start writing charts for whatever you're doing this week. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. so it was, uh, it was, it was, uh, just a constant running, running for me. And the pandemic, the stop was, was amazing in a way. Hmm. Hmm. So that's really interesting. I mean, I've had a lot of these conversations and I don't know if it would be 50% of them would say what you said. They said, man, I really welcomed the pause, the break, you know, and then the other percentage and I fall into that basket, um, was like a loss of identity and, really a challenging time mentally like what is my value who am i like that sort of like kind of heavy shit you know and to sit in that zone for that long um was really challenging so you know did i try to do other things just creatively maybe not even music related like having these conversations starting this podcast and then i made a steely dan record and i was trying to you know anyway i was just trying to tread you know Mm because i didn't i didn't i'm not good when I'm not busy, you know what I'm saying? I yeah. I just get in my own head and I'd much rather be, you know, 90 miles an hour versus zero miles an hour. Like that's not good for, for me, but I'm glad that, that you had a moment, right. To, to pause and breathe and all right, what else, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it's really, uh, it made me look at, uh, at everything I did mm. and, and why I did it and, and what was, what was really important and all kinds of things. But, you know, obviously a uh, musician is, is I, I've, it's all I've done. Mm-hmm. So, but so I can't, I can't stop. Mm. I, I'm not gonna be turning down gigs. Right. 
But uh, even like when I came out here, I didn't know anything about the music scene here. I didn't know anything about uh, how much work there was. Um, hmm. And so I was like, well, this is a chance for me to kind of, uh, you know, see if there's some other directions. I'll always play something somewhere. Mm -hmm. But am I going to do that as the main thing I do? And hmm. it's it's turned out that way. Mm -hmm. So which is which has been great. It's did you come out here thinking like, listen, if it doesn't work in a year and we're both like not really that happy or we haven't found our tribe, we can always move back. Like, did you or was it like we're leaving Minneapolis? Like we're not. We were kind of on the we're leaving. Yeah. Yeah. And because I, 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 I kind of felt like I had done everything I was going to do in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. I was just like, like I said, I was just on a, on a treadmill of, of repeating mm -hmm. the same things. And I worked with great people and did, did some really great things. And, and, but, uh, um, one of the things that's, that was, that was really a surprise was, like I said, I've, I've been pushed to the front. Um, and, and it's really, um, expanded everything I do musically being out here because it's, it's like, instead of being hired for, Oh, Steve does this. Mm. So instead of being hired to do that same thing every single time, um, now I'm being, I'm being hired. Oh, can you do this? Can mm -hmm. you do this? Yeah. Mm. I'm like, and I, I'm not saying no. Mm. So I have done all kinds of, uh, different things that have pushed my guitar playing. I mean, I, I'm an R and B guitar player and that's, that's what I did. Not a jazz guy at all. Hmm. Never was that interested. But I see you, I see you playing with some jazz guys. That's the, but out here, that's, that's what I've been kind of pushed into. Yeah. Cause it's like someone says, Hey, can you do this? And I'm like, well, um, yeah. I can do that. Huh. And I, I take the, take the list and, and put some time into it. So I look like I know what I'm doing Yeah, and, uh, and then I go out and do it. And it is, it has pushed my playing in, in different directions. It's pushed my vocals in different directions. You know, I've been singing standards. I've done everything from singing standards to, uh, to the stuff we're doing in resorts to, 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 you know, just expanding my repertoire and things I probably would have never have done in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's, it just, it just took me out of, uh, cause I, you know, I had, I had my niche. Yeah. I mean, I did what I did. Yeah. And it was, it was easy to keep doing it. I didn't, I didn't have to do anything. My phone just rang. Right. You know? And, and that, that's an interesting change too. It's like now you're kind of, I mean, you, you obviously made some great connections early on and, and, and got to work right away, but I would imagine, um, it would be fairly daunting because I, I don't, I can't, I'm not, you know, going to do the lucky devils thing. I, I can't, I'm not, I don't read charts. I, I just, you know, it's not my thing. Um, but I would imagine I would, I would feel fairly, uh, uh, not, not scared, but it would be a lot of work for me to move to a new big city and to make those inroads and to get to work and to, but you were able to really do it on a, on a, a quickly, um, which is, which is really incredible when you think about it. This is the fifth largest city and you stepped into it and began working. I mean, like that's pretty cool. And that's a testament, I think to all your hard work leading up to that moment, you know? Yeah. I can't argue with that. Yeah. I was, I was, I was really surprised at how much money I made, how quickly and it was, mm -hmm. it was, I, I mean, I, I bought a car like within six months of being here, mm -hmm. not because I needed one, but because I wanted one. Mm -hmm. I, Cause I, I had, I had sold, I had three cars and I sold one in Minneapolis when I left, I took the other two of them down here. Mm -hmm. They're both Jeeps. Hmm. Um, You're a Jeep guy. I'm a Jeep guy. They're both, uh, you know, old school XJ Jeeps uh -huh. from the, from the nineties. Okay. And, uh, um, I brought both of those down here, but you, they're, they're not ideal cars to be driving around these freeways at 80 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So I bought something that, that could handle that a little bit better mm -hmm. and, and put some money into it. And also but in Minneapolis, you can't buy a car, um, with any, with any, with any thought of, of, of having a nice car because mm -hmm. the, the weather's going to destroy it. Right. 
So, right. so uh, there were some things I always wanted. You know, I always wanted like a, I, I, what I really wanted was uh, uh, an, an SL uh, Mercedes. Uh huh. And uh, I actually went slightly off of that, and I bought a I bought a CLK, which is just a, it's, it's mm-hmm. a big it's a big AMG Mercedes. Love those. And those uh, are tanks. It's uh the it's 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 great. You know, four hundred horsepower. Mm-hmm. It moves. And you can get under the hood and 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 do some repairs. Yes. And that's a that's a skill that you have. That is a critical thing, man. Yeah. Because I had it I had it uh, I had a problem with it. I took it to a shop, and uh, he quoted me seventeen hundred dollars to fix the, fix the problem. Uh-huh. I fixed the problem for about one hundred and eighty. Oh. So that's mm. uh, I, I'm no mathematician, but I think you. I uh, did well. Yeah, you did well on that. I on actually. That move. <laughs> Actually, like, can I can I come in and do this job right. like, once a week right. and take that labor money? Because right. that would that'd be all I'd need. <laughs> that's such a skill I wish I had. You know, that's well, that's a musician skill, man. Because yeah. in, in the early days, um, I remember doing a gig and I had um, no brakes in my car. Okay, none. I, so, what just like randomly or like as a rule like you hated brakes so I, I had a truck fred flintstoned everywhere you went what's happening no i, I didn't i didn't have anything against brakes so <laughs> i had a truck that blew its engine uh-huh. and in my driveway was my old dodge daytona which had no brakes and uh so i it was friday morning stick shift yeah okay yep. so, so at least you can slow down yep slowly so it was Friday morning, and the gig I had, there was some some side roads I could take. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't have to get on into traffic, so uh, I pulled the front seat out, loaded the PA in there, and uh, and drove it to the gig. And, and it, coasted into the parking lot. Coasted into the parking lot, <laughs> threw it in gear, shut it off. That's right. In a in a in a nice in a nice funny story, and part of that there was there was one spot where I had to cross the freeway on a like a like an overpass. Uh huh. And what I didn't know is on this overpass, they had a cop directing traffic at rush hour. Oh, God. And so I'm rolling up to this cop with no brakes, and he's standing in my lane with, oh, his, no. with his hand out going, going stop, and oh. he's not looking at me at all. No. And I'm rolling up, and I'm downshifting. I'm slowing the car down as much as I can. Yeah. And uh, I'm, it's to the point where I'm going to have to shut the car off and slam it into gear to stop it. Right. That's what I'm going to have to do in, oh, in like God. another maybe 45 seconds. And without even looking at me, he stepped out of my way and waved me oh. through. And I just rolled past him. <laughs> and so anyway, at the, the end of that story is I got the money from the gig and it was enough for the parts, but it wasn't enough to pay someone to do it. Yeah. So I had no real choice but to do it yourself, do it myself on Sunday morning. That was it. Wow. And so I learned all of my auto mechanicry because basically I couldn't afford to, right. to have anybody do it. Well, so pressure under fire. You, 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 you tend to learn shit quickly yeah, when exactly. you really, yeah. really need it. When you, you have no choice. Yeah. You know? All right, let's see this. This is actually not, not bad. So the, the topic is On the Road Again. Name a song that reminds you of being in the car with your family. Take your time. With the family? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe just being in the car. How about that? I got a couple of those, I think. Shaka Khan's Greatest Hits. Oh, my. That whole CD. Uh-huh. So it was a CD, wasn't a tape. Yeah, it was a okay. CD. So mm-hmm. yeah. So this was this was later on. Mm-hmm. Um I had a bass player, uh JD from Chicago, and uh he uh he loved that disc. And uh-huh. that was that was in the C D player for like months at a time. Was it stuck? <laughs> it wasn't stuck. He would get it was my car, but he uh, would get in the car and just and just replace it. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, your CD is is not happening. And he he would, he would jam to that all the way home. Yeah, yeah, or all the way wherever the hell we were going. 
Mine, I'd have to say, I can think of a couple. Well, just very briefly, um, uh, Jim Croce. For some reason, hearing Jim Croce reminds me of being in the car with my father. Because he loved Jim Croce, and, and whether it was Time in a Bottle or Leroy Brown or whatever. Um, wait, did he do Time in a Bottle? No, no, Operator. Sorry, that's what I was thinking. Operator. That's a great team. Anyway, uh, that reminds me of being in the car with my father. But I would say this is probably 1992 or, yeah, two. Uh, I was, you know, grunge was a thing. Yeah. And um, Alice in Chains Dirt. I had the tape and it just fit perfectly for that, you know, for young boys, you know, I was 14, maybe 15, 16, I don't know, 92, do the math. I don't know. I was a kid. And, um, I remember like, that was like the soundtrack of, of whatever year that was sophomore year in high school. Alice in Chains Dirt lived in the car, got you pumped up. It fed all the angst that you could possibly muster. It was heavy, melodic, you know, and I still love that band to that day. And, and that record probably lives in the, in, you know, maybe my top 20, you know, okay. top five grunge CDs. Was grunge a big thing for you? Not really. Yeah. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a fan. Mm. Um, cause I had, uh, you know, it's slightly older. So, uh, I had all that eighties rock in there. Mm-hmm. And all that, uh, you know, and so as as a as a as a kid, I'm like these 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 guys can't even play their guitars properly, man. Mm-hmm. That's not entirely true, but you know, as an arrogant teenager, that's, right. that's what I was thinking because they weren't doing no solos. Right. Interesting. There's a simplicity to it that I think is part of that whole grunge thing. It's and I think the, part of the reason for its its success for kids like me was that it wasn't very hard to play. Yeah. And 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 for the most part. If you really got behind it, you could sing it. I mean, and I couldn't sing that 80s shit, that super high, you know, hair shit. Um, I loved it, you know, uh, early Motley Crue, uh, Rat, you know, all the all yeah. that stuff was great. But but something about grunge, the simplicity of it and the vocal range of it, I was like, this is my shit. Didn't speak to you. No. Not, not, not at the time. I mean, yeah. I, I taught more Nirvana than I can possibly remember as, uh-huh. a, as a guitar teacher in the, in through, through the nineties. And it just, it just kept, kept on going. Yeah. But, uh, so, so I, I can appreciate, you know, you know, so, you, know you would Kurt Cobain, he didn't know what chords were supposed to be in which key, right? which I think was to his benefit. Mm. Cause you know, I, I, I don't think he should have followed any rules. Mm-hmm. He should, if, if that, if he wants to play two major chords that, that don't really go together, hmm. he should do it. What's an example of that? Um, I'm, I'm thinking of something where you, where you'd be playing in, in, in more of an E and, and throwing in, uh, like, like your G major and your C major and your, and your E major and, huh. and really your, your E should be minor if you're, right. if you're, if you're a theory Nazi. Yeah. But, Which I'm not. I don't know. Yeah, but musically, know. there's. I mean, I'm sure there's more, more, and more in there. I mean, I'm, I'm not remembering that. And it's, there's something he did. He did like an E flat in the middle of that same key, which was also major. Um, <laughs> so and, he did, yeah, there were no rules. Yeah, and and I th- I agree that he probably benefited from it because it's very freeing to not know what the fuck you're doing. Well, there shouldn't be any rules, right? I don't think right. you know if if you can make it work. You should play any damn chord you think. And he made it work. And he made it work. Yeah. I cannot argue with that at all. No. So, yeah, I think that that, uh, you know, and I was, you know, 80s, 80s, 80s metal and rock. That was, 
you know, all those guys were so very diatonic. Mm. It was, this was the key. This was, I mean, with the exception of maybe Eddie Van Halen, who had a little bit more blues in him. Hmm. But, uh, but a lot of those guys in, in like Metallica is, is uh, those early albums. Those are, you know, this is the key. There's you got your E minors there. The C is major, hmm. and and so on and so forth. Followed and, the rules a little and bit. And he, those scales are those scales are straight up the scales. There's nothing added to them. There's nothing. There's nothing in there. Hmm. Hmm. And it, and it, and that all works too. But it's somehow it's 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 restrictive mm-hmm. because you know. Well, it maybe not formulaic, but it follows a it follows some rules. Yeah. Yeah. It follows some rules. Yeah. It follows some rules, but uh, breaking rules, I think, I think musically is 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 the way to go. And and I feel like that's how you make a mark on some level. Like that's how you do something different. Yeah. I mean, if you if you're not if you're not redefining or 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 challenging even some of those rules. I just feel like you're going to get passed over. You, you know, there's nothing unique about what you're doing. You yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And one of, one, of, one of my, I guess, signature songs since, since I've been, you know, singing is uh, Sunshine, Raul Midon. Sunshine, when you're with me, I can fly. Oh, yeah. Sunshine, when you're with me, I can fly. Every day I wonder why peace on earth so hard to find. Real peace begins inside, in our hearts and in our minds. Hearts and minds begin to see that one and all means you and me. And what we know can set us free. Rearrange reality. Reality is what we know. We can change a river's flow. It's a Latin thing. You, I, you might have heard me do it. I, I know you've probably been at Cock and Tails when yeah. I played it, I'm sure. But... Um, basically, you're looking at you're looking at like a D major seven to a G minor seven, and then a B flat major seven and a C major seven. Huh. And all that shouldn't go together, but it does. It does beautifully. Huh. So. Um, D- I mean, the, the melody must tie it, right? I mean, yeah. What else yep. could possibly, if on paper these chords should not work, the only other thing that might possibly connect them is through this melody and how the melody can tie it. Yeah, you know. Well, a minor four is not a is not a that <clears throat> radical, you know. Um, it's it's not that crazy of a thing to do. That's mm-hmm. that's a Beatles thing, actually. Hmm. As far as are I you remember. a Beatles fan? No, not oh, at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not at all, actually. Not but at all. Like, no, like I have he, never really liked the Beatles. Kind of like an anti. Yes. Whoa. And I I, don't, I can't explain that. I just it it never spoke to me at all. Huh. And and I and I was for some reason I, I was always very annoyed when it was on a set list that I had to learn. Uh huh. I was like. This is crap. <laughs> I didn't like it, but interesting. But what, what you know, when I was in music school, they called a, a cadence, which is just a, a um, you know, it's a resolution. Mm. So there's a plagal cadence is a, like a, a major four to a minor four, and then back to the one. And what they, what my teachers called that was the Beatles cadence because mm. mm. they did it a lot. Mm-hmm. They would take your four chord, play it major, then play it minor, and then back to the one. Hmm. Interesting. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a chord movement that, I mean, there's some chromaticism in there because you're going from that, that three becomes flat three. And then it, it lands on the, um, if I'm thinking quick enough, that's, uh, I, it works somehow. I'm not thinking that quick. I wish I knew what the hell you were talking about. I really do. <laughs> it resolves. It resolves nicely. Okay. <laughs> I, I wish I knew more of that stuff, the flat thirds and the sharp nines and the, yeah. Um, well, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you for uh, sharing your story. And, and where can people find where you're playing? 
Uh, you know what? I put up a website, so it's like it's stevegripguitar.com. And that's, that's G-R-I-P-P. It. You got it. Guitar.com. Yep. And you list all your dates and your solos and the trios and the... I, that should be reasonably up to date. Okay. It's probably, it's probably running out now. It's got May on there, but uh, no right, June. Right, so I right. got to get back in there. <laughs> no, you remind me. I do that too. <laughs> well, Steve, I appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck. I, I'm sure I will I'll see you around the scene here uh, in the coming weeks, but uh, appreciate your time and, Thanks, and uh, we'll be in touch soon. All right, man.